If you're looking for a quality Kickstarter marketing specialist, I recommend the folks over at Next Level Web. They charge flat fees with an easy monthly agreement and they get serious results. Their goal is to get you funded on day one and their rate of success for that is above 90%, regardless if you're a veteran or a first-time creator. As a client myself, I can personally attest to their quality as they have helped me raise tens of thousands of dollars for my own projects. So if your email list looks pitiful, but your game is awesome, head on over to nextlevelweb.com slash kickstarter and take your marketing to the next level. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about expanding a core idea. What does it look like to take this really cool system, this really cool idea that you have, and then build upon it? And what does that mean? How can you even do that? And we're talking to a couple of masters of this, in, in my, at least in my opinion, some guys that have designed just some amazing games and games that I, I, I've enjoyed. I'm really excited about stuff that uh, we're not allowed to even talk about right now. And uh, it's Trevor Benjamin and David Thompson, best known for their Undaunted series of games gentlemen welcome to the show yeah thanks for having us thanks thanks a lot gabe it's great to be here yeah so glad that you guys are here undaunted kind of burst on the scene oh, i don't even remember with, with with covid everything feels like yesterday and 10 years ago at the same time so <laughs> you have to remind me when the game came out but uh it, it kind of burst on the scene and it was like oh here we go again another deck builder another you know game about world war ii but it's like no 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 you have to try this. And like everyone I heard talk about it online was like, no, you have to play this game. You have to give it a shot. It's, it's got some really cool things going on where they have expanded on what it means to do a lot of these things that maybe, you know, have, have shown up in other games, but it's a new twist. It's a new way to do it. It's got some really cool stuff going on. And so just really excited to kind of break down Undaunted and then also some of the other games that have either inspired you or, or been a progression of that one and expansions and things like that. But before we get into expanding core ideas. Who are you guys? How'd you get into game design? How'd you meet up and, and work together? And uh, Trevor, let's go with you first. So yeah, I'm, I'm Trevor Benjamin and um, I am Canadian, but I, I live in the UK and that's relevant because that is where I met David. So I um, moved to the UK in 2013 and I, I moved to Cambridge um, and um, I, I'd, I was interested in game design um, but I hadn't properly done it yet, and I stumbled upon a uh, a meetup group on the internet where basically every every week, every Tuesday, it was some some local game designers would meet up in a pub and 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 do game design, bring in their prototypes, you know, play them, iterate on them, and that is where I met. Um, lots of game designers that's where i met david so david came in just about a month or two after i did and and yeah and then the rest is the rest is history i suppose very cool but tell me what got you into game design in general is this something you start off as a teenager and came back to like kind of tell me your origin story so to speak right source yeah sure um so i i mean so i mean you know the it's it's the classic story of grew up playing games um broad range of things so the obvious ones like dungeons and dragons and magic the gathering the ones that have inspired everyone but i played a lot of um 
you know, classical games too. Like I, I, I played a lot of chess and go and a lot of traditional card games. So pr- pretty broad range. Yeah. So when, when I was in my sort of early twenties, I started dabbling around with designing games, but it was very sort of, you know, a, you know, very casual, um, with, with some friends of mine just, you know, messing around, but it, it, it wasn't really until I moved to Cambridge that I seriously started doing it. And, to, and it, it was, it was really a case of meeting some people who had that experience and, 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 you know, could actually start, I could see the, the process, see the craft involved and, and learn and learn from them because it's, you know, it's one thing to have an idea and it's another thing to create a prototype and put it on the table and, and, you know, and sort of grind it out and, and just, get feedback and, and and start to learn what you know what makes a game work and doesn't work and i think i was really fortunate to have this group of experienced people to do that with yeah very cool all right david what about you yeah so uh exactly like trevor i grew up on i actually grew up on dungeons and dragons i was an rpg guy so um started playing my you know early teens maybe i played it up until i Graduated high school and joined the Air Force, uh, kept playing, and then about the time I got married and was going to have kids, um, I was always the dungeon master, right? So I was the guy who was spending hours and hours and hours a week prepping for sessions because I made all my own stuff, and I just didn't have the time to keep spending that much time dedicated to it, or at least I thought I didn't have the time. And so I started listening to, to podcasts was there's a podcast called the secret cabal and i listened to them because they at the time when they first came out covered rpg material but i also talked about board games and board games were these weird things that i saw when i went to the game store to buy rpgs but i didn't like i saw twilight imperium i was like i don't know what that weird looking thing is over there so i was always sort of on the periphery um but i listened to that podcast I, i was like well let me try this stuff out and this, the funny thing is, when they would talk about like these super thematic Ameritrashy games, that's what I thought I would like, and so that's what I started with. And then I soon realized that I made this sort of transition to Euros, and then war games, and eventually sort of Euro war, you know, war game hybrids. And but um, but then about 2014, as I was really starting to get into games, playing games, and and flirting with the idea of doing design. That's when I moved. Um, I'm American, but you know, obviously, I moved to the UK like Trevor did, and so met him at that same design group there in in Cambridge. Very cool. All right, so neither of you are actually from the UK, but live in the UK. Very ironically, very very few people that were part of that Cambridge design group were actually from the UK. <laughs> Which I guess in a lot of ways makes sense because you're getting together because you don't have any friends yet. You know, you're trying to meet people. And uh, yeah, I guess that, that works out really well. All right. Very cool. So let's get a good like working definition for what we're talking about here when it comes to expanding core ideas. And, and like, what does that mean exactly? And uh, David, let's start off with you on that one. Yeah. You know, there's there's sort of a few different things that, you know, that can mean, right? So the most obvious thing when you say expanding a core idea, people probably think of expansions, right? You come out with a game, you the game's probably done fairly well, or maybe it's a Kickstarter and you design some expansions at a time or whatever, but you have this core game and you just want to add a little bit more to it, right? So that's one thing, you know, potentially. Um, the other thing would be you the game does well and it come, you have some sort of sequel to it, right? Like a standalone sequel. And then the last thing is like games in a series, right? That are like 
or, or that share DNA, right? They, they share a design philosophy or a common mechanic. Um, oftentimes, you'll see that from the same designer, though often, you know, sometimes you can be inspired by somebody else's game. So really can run the spectrum of all of those different things, right? An expansion, a sequel to a, a standalone sequel to a game, or maybe a different game altogether that, that has that shared DNA. Very cool. All right, Trevor, do you have anything you want to add to that definition? No, I think that's uh, the plenty to cover. That's a good definition. Okay, sounds good. Uh, all right, let's get, before we get into that, I want to break down those three in a minute as far as like sequels, expansions, new games with similar DNA and things like that. I want to, I want to jump into that in a little bit. But first, let's talk about Undaunted because I, I think that's going to be another part of the frame that a lot of this conversation kind of revolves around because that game, it, it is such an interesting kind of case study in doing that both from you know creating new out of something similar and then creating expansions, creating sequels and, and things like that. And so, Trevor, why don't you give me like the, the, the synopsis, the breakdown of Undaunted, and then let, let's get into like kind of how it originated, where the ideas came from. But yeah, first, like the ele- elevator pitch of what even that game is in case somebody hasn't seen it or played it. So Undaunted is a, it's a two-player game. One player plays as the Americans and the other player plays as the Germans. Um, and it is a... World War II themed game, and it combines, you know, a, sort of a, a board play and and then a card driven mechanic that uses deck building, and I think that's that's one of the, the 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 things that sets it apart. Yeah, for sure. And the way that the cards work is very interesting. Like each card has a lot of a lot of different options, and there's a lot of interesting kind of things happening with, through that card play who was the original idea person there which one of y'all came up with the the first idea it was definitely david so i um i mean can david can give the the sort of the the origin story of it um and then i guess i can jump in when i when i came into it yeah go ahead yeah so uh it's interesting i, I just went back recently and looked at the timeline on all of this and it's amazingly compressed compared to what i remember it now so this is this happened right as I was moving to the UK. So 2014, I was moving there. I, like I said, I had just started getting into gaming. Um, one of the games that I played early on is a game called A Few Acres of Snow, which is a game designed by Martin Wallace, uh, very you know uh, prolific and also super talented board game designer. People probably know a lot of his games. Um, but A Few Acres of Snow was interesting. It was about you know ostensibly the French and Indian War, but it used used deck building in a very interesting way that it's probably the first game to ever do it where you were actually deck building to accomplish something rather than deck building for the sake of deck building right so in that game um you're using your deck to do all sorts of logistics and you know economy based stuff and combat etc and i was just really taken by it and probably for the better it was the first deck building game i ever played so i never played you know, Dominion or Ascension or Thunderstone or any of those games that people often think of when they think of sort of the, the original deck builders. And so I thought, you know, this this was really interesting. I, I think it could be used, deck building as a, as a mechanism could be used in a lot of different ways uh, for command and control and, you know, all those sorts of things. So that was just kind of going on in the back of my mind. I moved to the UK and the first trip my family took was to Normandy. And we, we went there because... My grandfather, my mother's father, um, fought in World War II. He was part of the 30th Infantry Division. So they fought. They landed uh, on Omaha Beach. They fought through through Normandy, and then obviously, you know, on eventually to Germany. They fought in the Battle of the Bulge, etc. So 
um, I was there visiting and I thought maybe, you know, this, this idea of deck building could be used in this, a very tactical or even really skirmish level, right? Like almost, almost down to like individual guide basis. And I wanted to create a game that, that could pay homage to my, my grandfather. So that was the idea. And, and I put together, uh, like a, a sort of, you know, email where I conceptualized that. And I, it had some, some of the basic mechanics that live on, you know, at least echoes of those mechanisms live on today. Um, so they made it through and I, and I sent that to some friends and said, Hey, what do you think about this? Um, so that was like, I want to say July or so of 2014. And the game was actually pitched at Essen in October. So a couple of months later. So the design and early development process of the game was, was super, super fast. Um, and then, you know, it was received really well, really positively at Essen um, by Osprey. They were interested. But one of the things that I knew needed to be done was, in addition to the obvious the normal sort of core development, is we needed to, I needed to do some scenario design, right? The original concept didn't really account for that. It was just, hey, this is a game. You're going to play with your guy. You're going to fight the other guys, you know, the other player's guys, and, and that's, that's it. So but that's when I turned to Trevor and... Trevor has a, he's, I definitely value, like we each have our own strengths, right? In our design partnership. And one of Trevor's strengths is refinement and polishing of a design uh, and, and doing a lot of really good development. And then obviously the other benefit of having a design partnership and a two player game like this is if we're going to do the scenario design, we need to be able to iterate through them, you know, over and over and over. So it just made a lot of sense to ask Trevor to join me. To, to finish the, the design. Oh, okay. So you had your kind of core gameplay, you know, my team versus your team. And then Trevor came in and really helped with the scenarios. And, that, and that's awesome because I think the scenarios is really what sets your game apart in another way from a lot of these skirmish style games where it is like, all right, my dudes are over here. Your dudes are on the other side of the map. We're going to meet in the middle and we're going to see who wins versus uh, undaunted, which is like, okay, you got to go over here and blow this thing up. You got to go over here and control that point. It's, it's a lot more interesting than just my dude shoots your dude and now I win. And so I, I think that's a, a, one of the excellent parts of the game. And so, all right, Charlie, let's, let's kind of talk about expanding David's idea, right? So then you, you were brought on and you're looking at this like, Oh, okay, cool. Here's how this all kind of works together and we can add this and do this. So tell me about maybe some of the interesting aspects of, of coming in at that point and then expanding where David was going. That's, that's really interesting to pull out that idea of expansion here because that's, that's essentially what you're doing when you're designing a scenario-based game, right? Like it, when David mentions the sort of the various categories at the beginning, I mean, there's a big chunk of doing that type of work within a single game. Um, and so what we wanted to do was, um, I mean, when you're designing scenarios, I mean, one of, the, one of the first things you have to do is, you know, cr- start with the basics, um, create something that is, like you know, as simple and approachable as possible, so that new players can you know pick it up and start from there. And so that so that that's what we did first, right? Like we took you know David had designed some of the types of units, but we had to like you know pair that cut those out and just say okay, what what is the most basic scenario that could work? And from there, it's a case of just you know slowly introducing the content that we developed within the game. You know, and obviously we did quite a bit of refinement of, of tweaking things and just trying to polish it. But in terms of the scenarios, it was yeah, slowly introducing it over the first few scenarios until you get to the point where 
all of the sort of content is is there but then at each step making sure that your the way that you design the scenario puts the players in different positions puts them you know makes their goals different um gives them you know access to different units or different capabilities and and just making sure that you know each scenario feels different and that there's a sort of a ramping up of of, of complexity and and breadth as you go along and and what, one thing that was really interesting with normandy is that there's no asymmetry in terms of the actual the the units that the, that the two sides have access to i mean we obviously when we talk about later games that changes but that was so that the asymmetry comes through the scenario design. So, you know, we, we wanted, you know, the, the two sides to feel different. And, and like the, the final scenario in the game is a symmetric board and both players have access to everything. So it's sort of, you know, the culmination of it all. But throughout, we had to make sure that everyone, each scenario felt unique, that the two sides felt different. So you know, that, that was a lot of fun. And it was a nice experience to work through that. Yeah, for sure. And I think this is one of the advantages of this type of game is that the player gets to grow as the game grows, basically. So you, you don't have to go in knowing all the rules in the rule book. And if you've got a complex game, like that can be a lot and it can be daunting, you might say. And so uh, it's, it's really good to kind of start off pared down, simpler, smaller, less access to different abilities and units and things like that. And then as, as the player gets more comfortable, you add more to it and then they don't feel overwhelmed. But at the same time, I feel like that's maybe a hard thing to figure out, hard thing to, yeah. to find that, that sweet spot. I know actually when I interviewed Rob Davio a couple years ago, he talked about this was the, one of the downfalls of Seafall was that he had this game set up and, and scenario one was the pared down version. And then the publisher came to him and said, hey, we really need like a tutorial, like a set, like a session zero kind of thing. And so he said, oh, okay, cool. And he made like an even simpler version. And what he should have done is literally just turned session one into session zero and tweaked a couple of things as opposed to creating session zero and then session one. So, so he said, basically not much happens in the first two sessions and that was something that turned a lot of people off. Is like, okay, I feel like we we still haven't done anything, and it's yeah. been two yeah. two games. And so, like, tell me what you guys and I, I'm not sure, Trevor. I assume you kind of led the way on this, and maybe you know you're the, the guy to talk to you first, and David can kind of jump in and get your thoughts. But like, what, like, how do you know where to start? I mean, that isn't yeah a, a critical thing, and we definitely. Um, it's actually we have a very similar story to what happened with Seafall, and I think we did okay but it's definitely a criticism that has been that that we've we've dealt had to deal with <laughs> was the, okay so basically we we had a training it was literally like the, the theme was literally like you know a training scenario where like I and mean, obviously one was player was still playing as the germans but it was supposed to be you know training and 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 that was even simpler than scenario one and it was symmetrical um but because we were concerned that it was just too simple and too basic. We ended up cutting it. And even then, <laughs> we have had, like I said, we've had some quite a bit of criticism from people saying, oh, scenario one is is no fun. And even scenario two isn't that great. You really, it does the game doesn't really start to sing until scenario three. And so for like we we sort of learned our lesson, and for every you know, undaunted game that we've done since and, and, and other games as well. 
it's you know you have it's 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 a really tricky thing to manage because you know you have to especially when you're doing a standalone game you have to assume that there are going to be a big chunk of players who have not played any of your games before any games that share that dna or you know it could be their first or could be it could be one of their first board games like you don't you don't know anything about who they are and so you have to you have to aim at it you have to aim it at them but at the same time you will have you know people with who have played hundreds of different games and presumably your games and so then you know you're going to it's going to be too simplistic or so it, it's it's really difficult um, thing to manage and one thing that we've realized is that the first scenario should be short <laughs> like it should be short for ev- like it's good for everyone but that the making it short is especially good for those people who who are more experienced right and so they can just sort of quickly get through it and then immediately move into scenario two um if you give them and like you know like so let's say your game is on average most scenarios are an hour right like if your first scenario is 30 minutes then that's that's fine right so that then you know you get through that first scenario and you're you can in the same session just just jump into the next one but yeah it's it's a it's a tricky thing to balance i think um what do you think david real quick though along those same lines did you ever think about telling people in the rule book or the scenario book hey if you are familiar with the game if you played these kinds of games before start at scenario two start at scenario three and and just tell players hey you can start here because it is a little bit more advanced yeah we've we've had those discussions i mean the, the here's the issue right the problem is that the vast 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 majority of board game players right now don't play a game more than once or twice right i mean i don't i don't know what the numbers are but it's it's a significant percentage of people who their only undaunted experience is probably the first scenario and that that doesn't mean they didn't like the game that just means that their their cult of the new is is super strong and so even if you tell a players hey, if you've already played deck builders before and you understand the concepts, feel free to play scenario three. Even with that in the book, you still wind up with the majority of people play scenario one. I mean, I, I'm, I probably am not exaggerating when I say that 95% of all pictures I've ever seen of people playing Undaunted is scenario one. If people listening to this, if you take away one thing, honestly, probably the most important thing we will tell you today is it's very, very, very difficult, but very, very, very important if you're designing a scenario-based game to strike the right balance between the scenario one has to be easy enough to, to introduce newish players, as Trevor said, but it has to be a good representation of the game, right? Yeah, that's a great point. It kind of goes back to what you know Seafall's issue was, because session zero was like, okay, fine, I'll give it one more shot. And then session one didn't really add much. Right. And so it's like a lot of people checked out after that and they didn't ever get into session three, four, five when the game really got going and some really cool things started getting unlocked and, and available. They never got there because the first two games were like, oh, well, eh, meh, fine. So that's yeah, a hard thing. All right. Anything else you guys want to add as far as like finding the right balance and, and basically the way to expand your own game? You know, there's a lot of people, especially because Gloomhaven has made a bazillion dollars. And so a lot of people are designing like scenario based games now and just kind of stacking mechanics or stacking concepts or adding things to it and so anything else you guys want to add as far as like expanding inside your own game through scenarios i think i mean i think we've probably we've probably covered it all i think the one thing that that undaunted has done specifically that i think is is really well and 
This is credit to the development team at Osprey. You know, when we gave, when Trevor and I designed the scenarios, we gave them to them and we gave them like, hey, this as a sort of note to them, this scenario does X, Y, Z. It introduces this thing, it introduces this. But they carried that through and added it to the rule book itself, right? So they actually are explicit about in this scenario, we're adding, you know, whatever that new thing is. And so it's just nice to, to not leave that to the players to, to figure out on their own, right? Just be explicit to the players. Hey, this is an introductionary scenario. This is what you're going to focus on. You're going to learn X, Y, Z. And then the next one, we are introducing this. This is the, the, the new concept that you're going to be exposed to. Um, so I would say that just from a game presentation and conveyance perspective, that's a good, uh, good tip. Yeah, for sure. Just adding that in the rule book or in the scenario book and just kind of letting, just communicating with your players, right? Right. What, what they're getting into. I think that's a really cool way to do it. All right. So switching gears just a little bit, let's kind of move into Undaunted North Africa. Who, whose idea was that one first? Oh, that's actually, that's, this is a good story. So there was a long period. It's, it's very interesting. I told you that the period between conceptualization to pitching for Undaunted was like two months, right? Super breakneck speed. The period between Osprey being initially interested to Osprey signing it was a, like three year gap, right? And there's some reasons for that or whatever. But but the bottom line is we were we were fortunate because we had a ton of time to do a lot of, of development on it. But when when they eventually officially signed it, they you know we got the contract, but they also said, hey, um, in addition to this, we need you to go ahead and design a sequel. So it very few people know this, but. Undaunted North Africa was actually designed and delivered to Osprey before Undaunted Normandy was ever even released, right? And so oh, wow. it's uh, it speaks to I guess you know this is a huge compliment from them to to me and Trevor or whatever that they believed in the game enough to go ahead and commission a sequel. But but they told us when they wanted it, they said we need you to go to a different theater, right? And they and they gave us a little bit of an option. They said you know you know I think at the time they said. North Africa or Eastern Front or Pacific or whatever. They, they wanted a different theater with different nationalities brought in. But then they gave us the, the, some flexibility in, in what that could be. And so because of the scale of the game, right, we needed it to be you know, skirmish or tactical level or whatever. We felt that North Africa would be a really interesting place to take it because it would allow us to shift this, the symmetry and the scale in such a way that it still worked in the game you know but whereas undaunted normandy each token on the board represents a group of guys and then each card represents one guy uh undaunted north africa shifts that scale a bit so it's each token is a guy and each it each guy is represented by a group of four cards and so uh, it, it gives you, whereas Undaunted Normandy is more like it gives you probably a slightly more tr- traditional, if you will, uh, tactical, you know, combat or war game feel. Uh, Undaunted North Africa, when you play it, feels more cinematic, right? Um, because you're you're controlling these commandos and the game plays faster and that kind of stuff. Play, faster, both in terms of you know what's happening on the board, but also you know. You're moving in vehicles. So you're moving faster, etc. So, but yeah, that's how it came about. Is when when we signed the the actual contract for Normandy, they went ahead and told us they, they needed a separate game, and, and that's where we came up with North Africa. Yeah, that's awesome. And with this one, you introduced some asymmetry, and not you know not full on everything is is different. But now you have some vehicles, and now you have some different things going on for the different sides. 
right? And so, you know, you mentioned a few acres of snow a little little bit ago and how, and one of the great things about that game was how asymmetrical it is, right? And how each side plays fairly differently and each side kind of has different goals and, and it's not balanced in the way you typically would think of balance. It's, it's balanced in a different way. And it's just such an interesting design that Martin Wallace came up with. And so, uh, Trevor, tell me about, Tell me about that as far as like creating the asymmetry, expanding Undaunted, and now creating some asymmetry, but at the same time, still in that same wheelhouse that people who played the the first game would still be able to pick this one right up and, and jump right in. Yeah, so that was um, definitely a big step for the game and the system was 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 bringing that in you know it, it was tricky but the, the good thing was is that the you know the setting the theme um sort of naturally allowed us to do that right so the 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 italian side is is much more traditional right so they they are largely modeled like they're largely comparable to to the to the types of units that you have in normandy and then the uh the the, the british so the long the long range desert group with LRDG, they are the commandos, right? So like, so for them, you know, each of the, uh, the, the characters in the game is quite different. And, and the sort of overall structure of, of, of the, of the side is different. I mean, obviously the, the, the obvious questions around, you know, balance and making sure, sure that it, you know, one side, you know, wasn't dominant over the other, but it was just, you know, trying to give them a different feel and we were able to make use of the exist some of the existing structures from the game to do that. Like one obvious example is so in Undaunted Normandy, um, as well as on the Italian side, um, you have this the squad as a unit, right? And you have you know a number of units within the squad, and then there's a, like a leader, a squad leader on top of them who can perform different actions within that squad. But for the LRDG, we got rid of that squad level so essentially you know all of the units on that side all, all of the characters the the soldiers are you know it's fl- it's a flatter structure which fits you know thematically but it also just makes again it makes them feel different and and so that was that was one way in which we introduced some asymmetry and another big way we introduced asymmetry was in terms of, of the goals of the game which are are tied to to some of the actions so the LRDG, um, you know, a, what what like the real LRDG, a lot of what they were doing was sort of disruption, basically, right? Sneaking around and, you know, infiltrating what the Italians were doing and, you know, going in and blowing things, <laughs> blowing up their, their supplies. And so um, we gave them this action, which is a demolition action, so they can go in and blow up you know, con- various structures or control points that the, that, that the Italians have. And that's something the Italians can't do in the game. So that introduces, and once something's been blown up, right? Like it's been blown up, you can't sort of go and, and take it back. So that introduced a real difference in the way that the two play and a real sense of urgency for the Italians. Like they have to deal with the fact that the, you know, the, the other teacher could come and blow things up. Um, the other big piece of asymmetry was, um, you, we, you know, we mentioned there's there's vehicles in the game, and both sides yeah. have access to, you know, trucks and cars essentially, but we gave the Italians a tank, and that, you know, and again, it it, it makes sense that they they had a tank, you know, they had tanks, the the the, the LRDG didn't, and so that gives them a really cool toy that the LRDG don't have. And so that makes them feel very different and, and 
and terrifying in a, in a way that, that the LRT aren't. So it's, you know, it, it was just basically, it was take the setting, like take the historical context, look at, you know, we had, you know, we were, we were fortunate we're, you know, obviously it's not a historical simulation, right. But, you know, we, we looked at the history and we, we modeled what we gave each side based on, you know, to, to some degree, what was there, but still sticking within the the sort of that core idea the core structure of, of of undaunted right and in true martin wallace fashion you went to the history books you went to your research and then created the scenarios created the thematic parts based on reality and i think that's a really cool way to do it that's one of the things he mentioned in my interview with him a while back is that he just loves diving into what really happened or how does this process really work and then let's turn that into mechanisms or theme and, and things like that so let's talk about balance for for a minute, which one of you is kind of more in charge or, or has done more work in the balancing of the game? I think I think Trevor. Right, that's all I, I was thinking about this as Trevor was just responding to the last question. I, I, and Trevor, correct me if you think I get any of this wrong, but it, I think if you said, you know, like how do we work, especially on Undaunted, right? It's different in different games, but especially on Undaunted, I'm definitely the history guy, so I'll do all the. You know, Trevor will read too, and he'll he'll check me, but I love it, right? So I gobble it all up, I read it. And I'll typically come come back with like, okay, we're going to do a scenario on this, and I'll try to do like an initial scenario sort of mock-up proposal, and then we'll play through it, and Trevor will tell me all the, the things I got wrong, and, and, and we'll refine it. When it comes to balance, it, we Trevor and I have gone kind of gone through this journey together, right? Because we, we basically started designing around the same time, and so we, I would, I think we've done a good job of developing our instincts and our skills but a lot of it was just no kidding brute force play it play it play it play it but i think at the end of the day trevor probably has a better sense than i do for the tweaks we need to you know the, the sort of what knobs do we need to tweak to to achieve the balance we're looking for i just want to jump in there I, i'm i think you're giving me too much credit david but <laughs> <laughs> but but one one thing that and this is definitely um, something that we have learned. This is this is to take note to anyone out there who's designing a scenario based game. The knobs that you have to tweak for a scenario based like when you're when you're balancing something, you have to be really careful with the knobs that how you turn the knobs <laughs> because um, if you want to turn knobs on things like like for example in, in the Undaunted case, the individual soldiers, right? Like, if you want to say this scenario, you know, it just doesn't feel like it feels like, you know, the Italians are doing too well in this scenario. If you tweak anything that exists in other scenarios, which they will, then there can be ripple effects, right? Like, if you go and, you know, beef up the, the stats on one guy and that guy has been used in previous scenarios, then, well, you've just, I mean, it seems obvious, but, you know, there can be ripple on effects and you may then throw out the balance of earlier scenarios. So what we have sort of, we didn't decide to do this, but we, we got to the point where we, we've sort of changed the way that we approach scenario based games in terms of our design, pro, like our balancing and process. Cause what we do is we play around with, with the sort of a scenario or two to get the, the core feel of it, right and try to throw in as much of the stuff that we think is going to be in the game in terms of, you know, like sort of core rules, unit types, and just play play those again and again and again until we feel comfortable with it. And then what we do is we start doing sort of 
shells of scenarios, right? So we will, um, okay, this is this is roughly what scenario one and two are going to look like. This is roughly what scenario three is going to look like. We'll play it. Does it seem fun? Is it f number one? Is it fun? Like, does it seem relatively okay? Yes, good. Don't polish it. <laughs> Don't polish it. Move on to scenario four. Do the exact same thing. Play through it a couple times. Move to scenario five. Did, did it run all the way, ideally to the end? Get the, sh the sort of shells of all the scenarios down. Because the thing is, when you're in scenario seven, you will, it's going to happen. You're going to be like, oh, okay, actually, this sort of core rule or this unit, really, we were wrong. It should be like this. <laughs> and then make the change. And it's fine if you've only played each scenario one or two times, and then you have to basically go back and run through them all. But if you have spent you know, weeks polishing each one and balancing it, and then you, you know, you have to tweak some things, then you've basically undone all of that work. And so we've sort of, yeah, I don't know, I'm sure I'm sure that other people have learned the same thing. But it's, it's sort of this iterative approach of running, like doing core design of the game, alongside a first run through your scenario design, if that makes sense. And then you get to a point where essentially you you have to just start locking things in and saying like All right this is it like these units aren't going to change and at that point when it comes to scenario balancing the only thing you can change is like move this unit from this space to this space or you know swap out like or you know like you know undaunted is a tile based game so it's like we're going to swap this tile for that tile so that they this you know this has a bit more defense or whatever or swap scenario specific stuff right like change the objective so that they only have to get three points instead of two but you can't touch any of the the sort of the core recurring elements that feed through the whole system right and i think this is something a lot of designers and games run into as far as like power creep whenever they're adding things you know from one scenario to the next or from one game to an expansion and now they're adding new factions or new units or something like that is like all of a sudden these new things come in you're like wow that just totally makes the other stuff useless or irrelevant. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a hard thing, especially when you, you start introducing some asymmetrical type things. And this is something, in my own experience, you really need to sit down and think through what kind of balance do you want from the beginning, right? What kind of game is this and what kind of balance are you going for? Because if it's a two-player skirmish-style game, then you want both players to feel like they have a 50% chance of winning, right? Now, it's going to change depending on somebody's skill level. And if one player has played the game 10 times, the other player's played it none, then that's obviously going to change the 50-50 split and things like that. But overall, people feel like the game is fair, that the best player won, that they didn't win just because they you know, had that one particular unit or something like that. And so I think that's one thing to think about. But then on the other side, like for the last couple of years, I've been designing pretty much all solo and or cooperative games. And that's a whole nother type of balance because now you're, you're trying to figure out the players versus the AI versus the game itself. And so now you can introduce some totally different type of thing that aren't necessarily quote unquote balanced as in two on this side equals two on that side. But now it's really just about, you know, what, what kind of game do you want? And so for instance, I've got this Pokemon style game I've been designing for a while and in that one, it's, it's called Robomon, and you've got these little robot units that are your little dudes running around the map and, and fighting stuff. And for that one, at the moment, there's 75 different robots that you can control, right? So that's a lot. And, and you have two robots on the board at a time. And so you can have these really interesting combinations of things. 
And I know like, it's not possible for me to play test the game enough to really, truly figure out, oh, this, this combo is broken. This one is just super dominant. Oh, this one is useless and whatever. Like, I'm, I don't have enough time in the day to figure out like all of those answers as far as like every single combination versus every single other combination. And so I know that the game is eventually going to come out and some, somebody somewhere is going to find like, ooh, this is such a great combination. This is such a great team. And I'm good with that. Like if they figure that out, even though if it is a little bit broken, well, one, they're not playing against another human. They're playing against an AI. They're you know playing against the game. And so it's totally fine that they crack a code and like dominate the game because of that. Right. And so that's that's another thing. It's like, what, what kind of balance are you going for? Because I would much rather have a game in that situation where players can figure out how to exploit something that's not super balanced, but they you know feel clever and they feel like they figured out something that no one else knows. That, that's a cool thing versus, oh, it's in an undaunted style game where they figure that out. And now they just decimate anyone that they ever play against. And now no one wants to play with them because it's not fun. And so I think that's another thing to kind of think through. Like, What kind of game do you have and what kind of balance are you actually going for? And so. Trevor, do you want to add anything or David, do you want to add anything as far as any anecdotes, any stories that come out of kind of thinking through what kind of balance you're going for? Yeah, I mean, I will, I will just say I absolutely agree with everything you just said, right? So in the terms of Undaunted, in, in other games that we've we've designed that are, you know, Trevor and I have designed a, a few different sort of two-player head-to-head you know, skirmishy games, right? So Undaunted, uh, War Chests, uh, a game that's coming up called Dire Alliance or all of those games are very much like what you said. We need to, you're never going to get 50, 50, right? Like that's just, if you think you can, you're just wrong. Right. Unless it's a two player deterministic symmetric game. Right. So, I mean, obviously the goal is to get it as close to that as possible. Right. But once you start doing like, you know, I've done design work for, for co-ops and, and solitaire, just like you said, and you know, you, you don't want, 50 50 balance between the players and the system usually right you want some other level first of all you want some option of scaling difficulty but you know you it probably you don't want the players winning 50 percent of the time and just like you said i think that's one of the very first things in those kind of games where when you're conceptualizing at the very beginning what what's the core of this game going to feel like and what's the experience going to be I think understanding where that balance is is one of the most fundamental things you have to de- determine early on. Yeah, and let's let's actually keep traveling down that road. So you mentioned several games that you guys are also have worked on or, or currently working on, and remind me if I'm if I'm not mistaken, these games kind of came off of Undaunted, like taking a very similar system that's in Undaunted and then creating new games. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, so the 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 first one was War Chest. Um, which strangely enough was published before Undaunted, but it was literally a case of let's take sort of the a core element of Undaunted and spin it into a um, an abstract strategy game, you know. And this third category of the sort of D, the DNA ex, you know expansion, right? So it's in many ways a a similar game, but given our aims. Um, and we we wanted to create something which removed you know the, the dice from the combat, which you know had a more abstract presentation and, and and hence would appeal to a different group of gamers. And so that was that was a you know a really interesting experience was you know looking at what elements can we port over from our undaunted experience and from the game and, and what stuff do we need to create anew um, and sort of in, in working through that process. And 
I think that's one of these, the really amazing things about game design is that, you know, people, I mean, it's, it's, it's I mean, it's, it's, it's just the whole discussion around me- mechanics, right? Like you can take a mechanic and stick it into a game and it can, given the context of the rest of the game, it can feel totally different than that mechanic does somewhere else. So, I mean, it's just the whole point that a game is more than the sum of its parts, right? Yeah, that's super interesting. Just kind of think through like how one idea can then morph into lots of others. And But let's talk about the pros and cons of that happening, right? So this kind of third category. So we've talked about sequels. We've talked about it a little bit about expansions. I want to get into that a little more in a minute because I know you guys have an expansion for both Undaunted Games coming up. So I want to dive back into that in a minute. But with this one, you're really creating a game. Maybe it's one that you came up with as, as we're talking about with you guys uh, and then created a, another version type of thing. Maybe you changed the theme. Maybe you added some new things here and there. So, But it's a totally different game. Or maybe not totally, but it's a new game. Or maybe, you know, someone like Donald X. Vaccarino comes up with Dominion and then a million other people are like, oh, deck building, that's a cool thing. And then they create their own kind of versions of it. So, but let's talk about the pros and cons of, of doing that, because I, I feel like you're going to run into a lot of good and bad. Uh, a lot of people are going to say, oh, that's just a knockoff. Oh, it's just a cash grab, you know, clank. And then it was clank in space and then clank the mummy. There's, like, there's so many different clanks at this point, but they're all different games. And, you know, so uh, you can kind of look at both sides of that. And so, uh, David, let's talk about pros and cons that you've seen from creating a new game yet that has similar DNA as something you've already done in the past. Yeah, yeah. So I think one thing, and this is the case for expansions, standalone sequels, and for games that are are actually just different games, right? If the game shares enough DNA that people are going to compare them, right? And so there are plenty of people who they discover War Chest, and then after they play it for a while, they're like, oh, these these designers have also designed this game called Undaunted, or the reverse happens, right? And and inevitably, there'll be comparisons, and I'm sure the same thing will happen to, to Dire Alliance Horror. The games need to share enough to give the players what they're wanting out of that experience, but they be, need to be different enough that they have. It's not the same thing, right? It's not a rehash, right? So obviously, that's the most important when it comes to you know to to different games entirely, right? Like it it can't be that War Chest is exactly the same thing as Undaunted, but but regardless of any of those three categories, they all need to experience that, right? So right there, you as the designer are taking on that not insignificant challenge of okay, how do we give Give the players what they're looking for, but it needs to also be different. It can't be, like you said, it can't be a cash grab uh, for one thing. But more importantly, for me at least, and I think I speak for Trevor when I say this too, I'm not really interested in designing the same thing. I don't want to just gloss a new theme onto something, right? It needs to be interesting, an interesting design process. But, but to answer your question, so from a pro perspective, obviously there's a lot to be gained when you're working on an existing system, right? Like, a, like even if it's a, a separate game. So let's take when we transitioned from Undaunted to War Chest, you know, we had a clear vision of what we wanted it to be. We wanted it to be a minimal, you know, sort of deterministic for combat, minimalized, you know, minimalistic sort of abstract game. So we had a vision, but we also had the benefit, uh, the pro of, you know, not having to come up with something completely new, right? So that's probably the biggest pro is we had a starting point. And I think that any of your listeners who have done design work themselves, many of the people probably feel the same way we do, where it's oftentimes easier to design with constraints than it is to just have, oh, well, you can just design anything you want, you know, feel free to to go anywhere. So 
that built-in sort of constraint is a, is a nice benefit. Oh, yeah. And then the benefit of, like, you've already designed that part, right? So mm-hmm. you're not having to create a brand new system. It's a system you've already playtested a million times, and you understand the balance. You understand the numbers. You understand all these things. Like, I was talking to the guys that made Star Realms uh, a while back, and they were talking about how they can come up with a new expansion and honestly, at this point, not really even have to play test it because they understand the system so well. They played it so many times that they can come up with a new card and go, oh, here's what the numbers need to be. Here's the cost. Here's the, the damage. Here's this right here. And they said, I could probably put that card right into a deck without any play testing and nobody would ever notice because I, I understand the system so well. And so there are definitely some advantages as far as like once you, as the designer, understand the core, like how, like whatever that mechanism or idea is, it you've almost like just jumped ahead in your design process by a a pretty good percentage. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, from just a strictly return on investment from a time spent perspective, Trevor already hit on this some, and it has to do with, you know, us, us just becoming more familiar with design in general, but absolutely, you know, we, we, we just completed a design work on another undaunted game and the time spent on it was a fraction of the time spent on earlier versions entirely because of that it, what's interesting is more different right than, than the games we've done before um but because we were so familiar with the system we were able to really reduce the amount of time invest we had to invest into it for sure right like if you were going to put this in just kind of broad numbers just to kind of prove a point like let's say it takes you a hundred days to design an undaunted game right well in the first the first one you designed it took 35 days just to figure out the core like deck building system like how does this game work mm-hmm. well now every other game that first 35 days is already done and so now you can use those 35 days to figure out new ways to do it and make things a little bit asymmetrical and add demolition and, and add vehicles and things like that and so even if it takes you the exact same amount of time well a lot of that has already been figured out and so you know that's obviously kind of a, a metaphor that's a little bit generic. But anyway, I, I think it holds true. And the same with my hunted series of games, like the core mechanism is the same. And so now I'm just like changing out the combat system or changing out the way cards appear in, in different methods and things like that. But like the core gameplay, it's already there and I already understand how to do it. And so I can create a new one really, really quickly. But let's kind of get into some more pros and cons because one thing I've learned is that, okay, if somebody hates the first one, uh, they're going to hate all of them, <laughs> right? And so it's, you, you kind of find your audience, and but that's your audience, you know? And so that's good and bad. So tell me kind of what you guys have run into, and maybe Trevor, you take take this one as far as that goes. So if somebody's like, oh, I hate Normandy, it's rare that they're going to go, I hate Normandy, but I really love North Africa, right? So tell me kind of about your experience there. Yeah, that I mean, that that's an excellent point. You know what you're getting into, right? The, I, but I guess, okay, there's I want to come at that from two two different angles, on the one hand, they're looking like if you look at if you look at Undaunted, right? Like it's it's pitched as a deck building game, and it has a deck building, or we we prefer the term deck management system. And for a lot of people, like that, that's what sort of pulls people in. Like, oh, I, I like deck building games, you know? Like, I'll, yeah, I'll give it a go. But and and it also has turned off a lot of people because like, oh, it's just another deck building. Game. I'm sick of deck building. And so, like, people come in with a conception or a preconception of how a game is going to work based on these these labels that we have right like oh you know these ideas right like it could be a label like deck building or it could be oh this is a you know another trevor and david game so they come in with preconceptions and so that can be good and it can be bad and in some cases you can surprise people and, and you know turn their opinion around but often you won't be able to do that and that that's just the reality of it yeah. And from a marketing standpoint, it could be a big challenge because I know personally, the first time I heard about Undaunted, someone said, oh, it's a deck building game. And I said, no, thank you, because I'm just not a huge fan. Right. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of taking some cards with low numbers and turning them into cards with higher numbers. 
repeat until the game ends. Like, that's just not fun for me. And so initially I was like, I don't know if I want to play this game. And it was like, no, no, it's, it's different. It's got some tactical stuff. You're moving around a board. The, the, the guys, like they do different stuff. It's like, oh, that's interesting. And so had it not been for someone saying, no, no, you, you need to try this. It's different than what you think. I don't know that I ever would have tried it. Right. And so I think from a marketing and publishing standpoint, you really have to figure, figure out your messaging. Maybe that's the thing you said, deck management. And that's, oh, it was different. Right. Uh, but figuring out the way you communicate that can be super important. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I just wanted to mention one other thing there, like, is that, you know, you make a new, we make a new Undaunted game, or you make a new game in a series, or you make a new game, you know, taking some core idea, is that you need to make it fit with the new game. And like, like, you know, it needs to fit in that context. And that, you know, it has to fit with, ideally with, you know, with the theme and setting of that new context. But it also has to fit, fit with, so you know the the other mechanics which make sense in that in that game or or you know the, the design goals you have for that game and sometimes you know that this is one of the one of the difficulties is you you know you may come up in a situation where you know it's like well we <laughs> we want the the game should work this way but if we change too much of it then i guess this is more in the case of an expansion or 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 a sort of a standalone follow up it stops being an undaunted game right and or or it feels too far from from what you know a, a person familiar with that would expect and so you know you have you know these constraints <laughs> and and that's great like but that that is definitely one of the downsides is that you must work within those but like i guess that's one of the great things is when you when you the, 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 like when you have a standalone you know, you you have more freedom than when you're having expansion because you don't need to be fully sort of backwards compatible, right? And when you want to design an entirely new game that's sort of outside of that system but shares DNA, then you have just more freedom, even more freedom, because you don't, you know, you're not beholden to anything. You can you can take the bits that you need and throw away the bits that you don't need. So it, it's a case of you know you have. Yeah, it's it's the, the the freedom you have, but also you know with freedom comes responsibility. <laughs> no, with freedom comes then you need to make it work, right? So there's like you know you you have less constraints, so you can you know it it it's, it's it will it will take you more time to get it right, I guess. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And let's keep talking about expansions. Let's kind of circle back as we we close things out and end with this as far as expanding a core idea and creating an expansion. I know you guys have been working on, and I think it's, it's just been released actually it's undaunted reinforcements. And so an expansion for both games. And so uh, David, tell me about that. And let's just kind of dive into, you know, reinforcements as it relates to this conversation. Yeah. So undaunted reinforcements, it brings a lot, like there's a, there is a ton in this package. So one of the things, you know, I mentioned earlier is, when Osprey asked for Normandy, they also asked for North Africa. And so that was great. Um, it was, there was one slight con in that uh, because we designed both of those games before Normandy was ever released, we didn't get the benefit of the player response, right? We didn't know what players did or didn't like about Normandy to inform the, the North Africa uh, design. And, and it worked out Great. It was it was fine because we you know, we sort of anticipated the desire for asymmetry and we we you know we baked that into to North Africa. But one thing that we didn't really expect 
was the absolute explosion of excitement for the game in the solo community. So right off the bat, Undaunted was super, you know, adopted by the solo player base. And so we've responded to that call with a ridiculously uh, comprehensive solo system. So in Undaunted Normandy, there are 12 scenarios. In Undaunted North Africa, there are 11 and Undaunted Reinforcements introduces eight new scenarios, four for each of those. So Undaunted Reinforcements has a solo system that allows you to go back and play every scenario from both the original games and the, four, the, the eight new ones, and you can play that scenario from either side. So my math may fail me here, but it's some ungodly number, 32, 64 different ways you can play those scenarios solo, Right which is just unbelievable. So hopefully the solo community loves that. That was work that was done not by me and Trevor, so just to give uh, credit where credit's due, it was done by the initial sort of concept was designed by David Turksey, but then David Digby went on and, and did all the development. How did I know you were going to say David Turksey? I feel like he designed every <laughs> solo game on the market right now. I saw recently he designed the solo game or solo like version of rock, paper, scissors. I don't even know what that means. Uh, of course <laughs> he, he did. did. Of know. course he did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. No. So, um, so yeah, no, you're absolutely right. If there's a solo game. So, so just a quick aside on that. So I like doing solo game design, like designing solo games. What I don't like doing is designing solo systems for games that I designed that were not the solo to begin with. And that's David's thing. And he, so thank goodness he came in and did that for us. So, so for sure, the solo bit is huge. I already mentioned there's eight new scenarios. Those eight new scenarios, obviously, uh, four for each. We introduced team play, so now you can play those eight new scenarios as four players, you know, two, two uh, people on each each side of the team there. And then we introduced new units for both games, right? So we well, people have been calling, as we've talked about, for asymmetry in Undaunted Norman, even though the Units you have access to are asymmetric, and the scenario is asymmetric. They still wanted more. So what we've done is we've added some new units for, for Normandy um, that allow you to go back and retroactively change up some just some of your riflemen just to give them a little bit of you know asymmetric feel to them. Um, and we've also introduced tanks for Normandy, so that's, that's a big change. And then on the North Africa side, we've introduced... Um, we've just added a bunch of new units, right? So new... Commando units for the LRDG. And then, you know, earlier I said that the one thing about North, North Africa is it lets you have this sort of cinematic feel and the LRDGs playing the commandos. We wanted to give the, uh, the Italians a little bit of that flavor. And so there was a unit that the Italians had that was sort of a counterpart unit to the LRDG. And they inspired the creation of some new units for the Italians that, that have a little bit of that, you know, commando vibe for them. So I think, I think that's everything, Trevor, did I miss any big stuff? Uh, no, that, I mean, that's it. We, oh, and mines, we added mines and they're used by both sides. So there's, there is a, a, a sapper unit on the LRDG, but in some scenarios he's laying mines and in other ones, he's, he's, um, diffusing Italian mines. So that, that's, that's fun. Yeah, very cool. And like I said, reinforcements just came out. Uh, where can people find it and anything else related to Undaunted? Well, you can find it you know wherever wherever you buy your games, right? So it should be available at you know your local friendly game store, the, all the big online game stores, and of course you can go directly to to Osprey's website and get it from there. Very cool. 
Well, gentlemen, this has been great. Let's get some closing thoughts. Trevor, what would you want to leave listeners with as far as maybe some encouragement? Maybe they're struggling to kind of figure out how to expand a core idea. Maybe they've hit a block. What would you tell them? The, the great thing about expanding a core idea is that you're, you know, you're sort of standing on sh- the shoulders that came before you. And that's something that every single game designer is doing, right? Like we are all expanding on these core ideas that other people have done. Um, and so it's essentially doing that. Like, let's say it's a deck builder. Like, like you, 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 let's say you haven't designed any games. You love deck builders. You've played, you know, a hundred deck builders. Then, you know, by all means, start with building a deck builder right it's the and it's the exact same process for one once you have a game and you have you know have success you you will have lived inside that game and so you will you know you'll know it inside out and so then the, the key thing is is just managing that balance between making it feel familiar but adding in new things to warrant, you know creating this expansion right like so giving people a bit more you know texture a bit more complexity that's what you're doing and if that isn't interesting to you then just take some idea from your game and spin it into something totally new that's another direction you can take it and so it's just i mean it's it's really no different not this i mean this it was a, it was a quite broad topic that we talked about today but it's, it's all just you know variations of the same idea we're all we're all just expanding on you know the the great ideas from that are floating around us and sometimes those are ones we've created if you're sometimes those are ones we've created ourselves but they're often ones that other people have done before us yeah for sure all right david about you closing thoughts yeah i think i want to go back and i want to reiterate one thing that i said and one thing that trevor said if if people can learn from uh, the the struggles that we've had right two two lessons to take away one was what i mentioned about striking the right balance between the you know what you provide your players for their first experience right it has to be simple enough for them to kind of get eased into the game but really and this is the huge foot stop remember that players oftentimes their first play is going to be their only play of your game and so you only you can determine where that is probably through play testing but but don't assume oh it's okay if this is just an introductory scenario because uh, they'll get to the next one, and this is where the final really happened, right? So don't don't make that mistake. And then the other one was um, what when Trevor was talking about how you spend your time, right? Your return on investment, where you're spending your time when it comes to if if you are doing this, you know, a scenario based game, where get the core down, right? You know, develop a core, put a, put together a structure for the scenarios, but don't you know the, sort of the skeleton for each of them. But don't spend a ton of time trying to refine each scenario linearly, right? Like through a linear path. Just get through them, get the ideas down, make sure that the core game is locked in before you spend a ton of time refining each scenario. So just learn from those two those two struggles that we've had, and I think you'll that's some good actionable stuff you can do. Absolutely, and don't do last minute changes to games. Don't do it. <laughs> We're not going to get into this. We've been burned on that. Where we think, oh yeah, sure, sure, this won't have this won't have any ripple in, impacts, will it? Yeah, no, it will. So yeah, don't don't do last minute changes. Um. Awesome. 
<laughs> well, gentlemen, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you joining me here on the show. Good luck with all the other undaunted stuff and all the other games and everything else you got going on right now. Yeah, thank you. Thanks a lot, Gabe. Yeah, it was great. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?